I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Nikki Druce. And I'm Cheryl Hull. And this is Killers, Cults and Queens. The podcast where we're going to learn all about the spookiest, the scariest and downright weirdest corners of the world. And maybe beyond. In this episode, we're metaphorically storming the gates of Area 51 to find out the secrets they have hidden inside. Alien oh invasion. my god, it's a flying saucer! We would never know. <laughs> oh my god, the willies! <laughs> He's feeling spooky ooky. Well, the CIA are back, 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 back again. Make it go zoom. Exactly. <laughs> it's like talking to a toddler with me. Are you ready? Beat me up. Take me to Saturn. Let's Shall go. <laughs> Killers, Colts and Queens, the show where we take you on a journey into the darkest corners of the world. Today, we're travelling to a top-secret military base in a desert in Nevada to see what secrets we can uncover. It's Area 51. But before that, how have you been? Do you know what? Fantastic. I, I can't complain. I can never complain because we are very, very lucky divalinas to be doing what we do. It's true. So I get up every morning... And I'm always excited about what's to come. And more importantly, I'm excited to see you, Nikki. Ah, I'm excited to see you too. <laughs> Look, it's a new week. It's a new day in the workroom in the f- famous sayings of drag rates. And I'm just like ready for another hour and a bit of shenanigans. Yeah, it's going to be good fun. I had a little bit of a, uh, a wobbler this week because I've been... Editing an episode of my own for my own podcast. And give I, it the plug, give uh, it the plug. <laughs> and I got to the end of it and I was just saving it and exporting it all and it all crashed and I lost the whole thing. So I had to stay up to ridiculous time in the morning to try and get it all finished. Been there, done that, messed around, I'm having fun, don't put me down. Mm. Uh, yeah, I've definitely, definitely been in those shoes and I can feel your pain. I actually feel the pain Right inside my gut right now. Yeah. It's always a horror when that happens. <laughs> well, it's quite funny because you cover a lot of horror, don't you? Yes, I do. And I think sometimes it's the uh, the ghosts like to make their way into my computer and to then destroy it from the inside and to delete my episodes. So I think that's what happens. Question. Have you ever used a Ouija board? Oh, good question. Um, I When I was growing up, my mother... Uh, said to me that there was a problem with her brother using a Ouija board at school in the library and she said don't you ever touch a Ouija board because there is evil contained within so I never have touched a Ouija board. Either have I. There you go. I've joked about it with shot glasses on the tables of bars. (laughs) I've gone shall we get another drink? 
Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's always yes, weirdly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I never have. But I've always been intrigued by it. I've, I've been to seances and that kind of thing, but I've not personally used a Ouija board myself. Do you know what I've always wanted to do? And I'm devastated it's not on the air. And I really, really, every time I speak to like a TV producer or someone that has some sort of power with TV, I'm like, can you bring back like Most Haunted? See, I thought what would be a really cool thing to do was to do Most Haunted, but do it from a historical aspect. So you would find, nobody steal this idea. I'm putting my copyright on it right now. So if I see it out there, I will be coming for you. Put it in the show notes. (laughs) But... I thought it'd be really good to research somebody from history where people say that this person haunts, go to the place, speak to them about their lives and see if that brings them out. Because I don't think that has been done really with ghost hunting shows before. I think it would be a cool thing to do. Well, I remember vividly ghost hunting with Girls Aloud. Yes. And I would love to do that myself. If you're here, just tap the fucking table. Yeah, I remember that. They all got really freaked out, didn't they? I know, but I think... It's something I've always wanted to do, but I don't want to do anything that's going to follow me like a Ouija board. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's kind of I would have to put myself in a circle of salt, I think, at the end and sage myself until I was clear of the spirits. But this is the things. It's like people always go, is it real? Is it real? And I think that leads us on very well to what we're going to discuss today, because obviously Area 51 Oh, yes. Is it real? No ghosts today, just aliens. (laughs) Which I equally am obsessed with. Yeah, well, I think you're going to be quite excited by this episode because there's lots of compelling information. So Area 51 is probably one of the most famous and also secretive military bases in the Western world. Do you believe that the Americans are hiding aliens from us in Area 51? I was literally having this conversation the other day and I 110%, not everyone, just 100, 110% believe that there are aliens there. Now, I don't believe they're alive. I believe that they uh, are unfortunately deceased, but they can never, ever, ever leave Area 51 because then the information will be out there to the world. So yeah, I believe it. Okay, well, pick up your tinfoil hat because it's about to get intergalactic in here. It's a good thing I stopped off at Tesco's. It's 1947 in the United States of America. It's the first year of the Cold War and tensions are at an all-time high. There has been an unusually large wave of UFO sightings sweeping across the nation. But on June the 14th, several people spotted a large flying saucer over New Mexico. On July the 4th, Mac Brazel, a rancher in New Mexico, drove into town. He'd been at his remote ranch for a few weeks, where there was no phone and no radio. He'd been completely oblivious to the flying saucer frenzy that was happening in town. He'd also not been thinking much about the weird debris he kept finding on his farm. Tinfoil, rubber and strange thin wooden beams had been scattered all across his land. Mac had been collecting it all to take to the dump, but on returning to town and hearing stories of the silvery flying discs others had seen, he realised he might just be holding the wreckage of a real-life alien spaceship. But what was the UFO and how did it end up in Area 51? Let's find out. Oh my god, I'm so excited. And I just can't hide it. So, first off, we need to go back to the start. What is Area 51 and where did it come from? On November the 26th, 1954, the director of the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, Alan Dulles, charged his special assistant, Richard Bissell, to lead a very secret programme. Codename Aquatone. What do you think the special project was? Um, creating this land, creating a building and hiding everything in it. <laughs> I don't know. You would think so, but no, it's something a little bit more, more than that. Okay. The CIA were acting on behalf of President Dwight Eisenhower after he'd asked his top men to find a location where the military could start a high-altitude reconnaissance programme for planes. Now, it was the beginning of the Cold War, the huge political tension between the United States and Russia, 
and Project Aquatone was at the forefront of America's offence. The mission was to build a plane that could fly higher than any other plane, at least 70,000 feet in the air, travel long distances, at least 3,000 miles without needing to refuel, and be able to carry 700 pounds worth of camera equipment on it that was good enough to take photos of the ground below. 700 pounds is about 50 stone, by the way. Quite a heavy cargo for a light plane to carry. Yeah. It was a tall ask, but the CIA were on it and left on their expedition to find a super remote, very secret location to start building and testing these next level spy planes. I see where this is going. It wasn't long before they realised that the perfect place was right under their nose. In a desert in Nevada, around 83 miles north of Las Vegas, there was a dry lake bed, which was once Groom Lake. It just so happened to be right in the middle of an already classified camp where the government had been testing out exploding nuclear weapons. It was prime real estate for the CIA, and luckily in the middle of nowhere, so they could carry out secret military business without being discovered. So engineers, spies, and uniformed military personnel were told to pack their bags and head for Area 51. (gasps) Here we go. Buckle up, kids. The name Area 51 comes from its location on the map, as it was in Square 51. So there's no secrecy behind that. It is Area 51 for that reason. Very original. (laughs) So it's quite boring, actually. (laughs) Now, there was a lot of work done during the Cold War in Area 51 that is honestly really impressive. Remember the super plane President Eisenhower wanted? Well, he wanted that plane because there were rumours that the Soviet Union had been experimenting with nuclear weapons and had actually already conducted their first atomic bomb test. There was a lot of worry within the US government about the very real threat of nuclear war. But the problem was, there was no real way to actually check if the rumours were true. The Soviets were intercepting aircraft heading towards their borders in every direction, making any attempts to take a sneaky look at their land impossible. And that's where the superplane comes in. There was a special set of requirements for it to be able to carry out the military manoeuvres they needed from it, It needed to fly high enough to be above any tracking radars that the Soviets had set up so it couldn't be detected, and it needed to be quick enough and fuel efficient enough to hightail it out of there when things were going pear-shaped. The superplane was built in just eight months in Area 51. Wow. Which is really impressive when you think about it, because they'd been given that task to make it and then had to engineer it and... And also, the technology back in those days is not where we are today. Yeah. So, bravo to them. Exactly. They decided to call it the U-2, not named after the band, the other way around. I'm sure it is a beautiful day, though. (laughs) And flight tests began in the summer of 1955. The plane was notoriously hard to fly, as it was so light, and flying at such high altitude made it really difficult to control, and pilots generally had a rough time of it in the air. But luckily, there were no crashes. The plane became one of the most important assets of the Cold War. It flew to Russia a year later, completely undetected, and took photos of the Soviets' nuclear and military bases. And it turned out the Russians were telling fibs. They weren't actually as advanced as their leadership had claimed to be. Unfortunately for the US government, the U-2 was actually shot down five years later, in 1960, by Soviet forces, forcing the military to own up about their secret plane and what they'd been up to. And understandably, the Russians were not impressed they were being spied on. Well, would you? Well, it's just a bit sneaky-sneaky, isn't it? If you if you opened your curtains and saw somebody with binoculars watching your every move, yeah, you wouldn't be wouldn't be pleased about it, would you? You'd hit the roof. Yeah. So famously, I can, I can understand that they're not happy about this. Oh yeah. This meant the US had to build another plane and fast, and this one had to be even better than the one before. Now it's just really impressive. They built the SR seventy one Blackbird which was a plane that could fly 80,000 feet in the air, which is 15 miles up, and it could fly at 2,100 miles per hour. That is petrifying. How does your face stick to your skull at that speed? (laughs) Surely it just slides off at that point. At what point do you stop breathing? Yeah, because surely the G-force must be so significant on your body that you must... It, it causes people to black out, doesn't it, G-Force? 
This stuff scares the living daylight out of me. What is going on right now that we do not know? Oh, tons of stuff. Oh, it's scary. Yep. It is scary. Anyway, the plane was light years ahead of other war tech that the world had its hands on. And some started to ask the question, where were they getting all this tech? And did it originate here on Earth? Or maybe... Was it from somewhere else? Ho, 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 ho. Now it's getting juicy. <laughs> so now this, we're heading into the 1960s. So it's about the same sort of time as the space race, really. I thought you were going to say the Spice Girls. I'm the like, Spice they were Girls. The 90s. <laughs> That's how old I am. <laughs> Over 50 years later, Area 51 is still one of the most tightly guarded secret bases in the world. It's full of hangars, runways, housing units, and even their own secret airline that transports workers in and out of the facility. I didn't realise that. I didn't realise that they flew people in and out, but they do. Well, I guess I guess it's more it's more inconspicuous. Yeah. And also, it's so easy to be followed on a public road mm. than it is flying in and out of a base where you cannot get in or out of. Yeah. Because I remember, don't judge me, on an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, they got they went on an alien yes, hunt. Yes, I remember. And they got they got as close as physically possible as they yeah. could before it would got like two more steps and you would have been gunned down. Yeah. And they saw people coming over the hills, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Like, at the top of the hills with guns. Yeah. Ready to point, like snipers. So yeah, you don't fuck around with Area fifty one. No, you don't mess with it at all. Curious minds have tried to get closer to the base and have confirmed that it is so well guarded that security with guns will shoot without asking questions. They have military personnel, otherwise known as camo dudes, dressed in desert camouflage patrolling the borders at all times on trucks. And they have been known to shoot at anyone that comes too close. It's so closely guarded that despite everyone knowing it's existed for a long time, the US government itself didn't even acknowledge that it was a real place until 2013. Are you joking? Yeah. And we've known about Area 51 like forever. Like since I was little, I remember yeah. Area 51. Yeah. 50 years, they just never acknowledged it. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. The reason it was made a public secret was down to some loose-lipped ex-employees who were starting to reveal secrets which were too compelling for the public not to start asking questions about. And it meant the government had to somewhat reveal its hand. <sighs> Scandalous. Are those people still alive? Because I can't imagine they are. Mm, some of them are. Oh, wow. Yeah. You'd think they'd be off. Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But there's some interesting stuff about that, so we, we will... Be discussing. I'm no. jumping the gun. I'm sorry. This is what happens. You've locked an excitable puppy know, in this exciting. room, and now I'm like <laughs> scratching at the walls. Like, come on! <laughs> on May the twelfth, nineteen eighty-nine, a reporter called George Knapp gave an interview on the evening news with a man referred to only as Dennis. Dennis was kept incognito. You couldn't see his face, and his voice was distorted. But what he was saying was very clear. He knew there were aliens at Area 51. And he could prove it. <gasps> yes! Now we're cooking. Dennis claimed that he had worked at Facility S4, which was very close to Area 51. And during his time there, he had amassed enough information to terrify the US government with his admissions. George asked Dennis to spill all about what exactly was going on out there in the desert, to which Dennis replied very matter-of-factly, well, there's several, actually nine, flying saucers, flying disks that are out there of extraterrestrial origins, and they're being test-flown and basically just analysed. I'm sorry, this is br nine. Nine of them, apparently. Oh, this is getting good. I think, I think... Oh, no, because aliens would have been smart enough to avoid this area, wouldn't they? So I don't think they were necessarily shot down in Area 51, but they are somehow transported to Area 51 as the safe haven. Mm. <gasps> he went on to explain that the US government was after the tech from the sources, saying that the propulsion system is a gravity propulsion system, the power source is an antimatter reactor. This technology 
does not exist at all. Remember the plane and how it was like defying everyone. It's all coming back. It's coming back to me now. Exactly. Wow. Look, you were talking in riddles and rhymes with compulsion. Blah, 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 that I, I, I got, I got, I barely scraped a C in science. It's fine. So, um, yeah. Basically, stuff that can make stuff go real fast. Make it go zoom. Exactly. <laughs> It's like talking to a toddler with me. (laughs) Now, as we can guess, Dennis is not actually called Dennis. He later confirmed his identity after he claimed he received death threats from the US government as he was committing espionage. So he decided to reveal who he was to give himself what he referred to as insurance in case he suddenly disappeared. Well, famously, that's what I would predict. Exactly. His real name was actually Robert Laser, which... <laughs> okay, so it is pronounced Lazar, but it's spelled Laser. <laughs> okay, well, when you said Robert Laser, I was like, oh, very fitting. Like, And they must look at the, uh, the the CVs that come in for Area 51 and go, okay, Melissa, Melissa, unidentified flying object. Of course you can join. <laughs> you can join. Um, um, <laughs> you know, the third of the uh, unidentified object family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's a descendant. Um yeah, Robert Lazar, but yeah, we're going to go with Laser. Yeah, Robert Laser. Robert Lazar preferred to go by Bob, a senior staff physicist who had worked in the Area 51 facility. I'm not sure if this works to validate Bob's claims or state of mind, but he was actually recommended for the job in the military by Dr. Edward Teller, the man who co-invented the thermonuclear bomb. So he's got to be somewhat of a smart guy. Yeah, with good connections. Yeah, and surely he's got to be a bit trustworthy as well. Yeah, they wouldn't just let in anybody, would they? Well, and if you're, you know, the the guy he was working with before is working with nuclear bombs, not everybody is going to be allowed to be near that. But also, this seems like the kind of job that you are not allowed to disclose anything, not even to your family members or your your partners. Imagine having basically a, a Hannah Montana double life. You would, wouldn't you? And I don't know how people manage to do that because I can keep things secret, but I can't keep everything secret. And if I no. knew stuff like this that was like mind blowing. It'll mess with your head. Yeah, I don't think I would keep it on the down low. I would be shot. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> right. I will be preparing the flowers for Nikki Drew's funeral. <laughs> No job for me at Area 51. <laughs> she wouldn't make it past the interview stage. I definitely wouldn't. And now with his newfound freedom and sense of self, he was off, giving television, radio and press interviews all over the shop. He explained in detail the kinds of silvery flying saucers the scientists at Area 51 were looking into, even drawing sketches of one that he'd worked on himself, one that the team had called the sport model. <laughs> So I assume that's the one that was going really, really fast. Baby, you got a key. Shut up and drive. (laughs) Whilst they were showing him the sport model, they'd given him a demonstration on how the reactors worked and how the craft managed to stay in the air. He said it was due to element 115. It was an anti-gravity element that the government was trying to reverse engineer to use in their own aircraft and spy stuff. Now, this was impossible, Bob said, because there was no such thing as element 115. Wow. So it's it's one that's not on the periodic table. I mean, I don't remember the periodic table. I'm so, so sorry. I remember gold. Is that in there? Yeah. Sulfur. Yeah. Oxygen. Yeah. So 155. So 155 is one that's not on the periodic table. Obviously, it's in the alien periodic table. Oh, maybe it is, maybe it is. (laughs) He was absolutely set on telling the world about what was going on, claiming that in the late 1980s, the US government had recovered alien spacecraft, several of them, and the technology in the Nevada desert that they were keeping quiet and analysing. That's a fact. So why do you think he decided to tell people about it? Surely if he knew all of this, he would keep it quiet but he's now suddenly decided that he's gonna come clean about it i think the guilt of living the hannah montana double life had got so much Mm. that he look if it was from the 80s 
that's a long time of holding secrets, you know? But he knew he would be putting himself in danger by doing this. So what is so important about this that he wants to get out there that is worth putting himself in so much danger? Do you know what? I think he must get got to the point where he was like, I can't take this anymore. I, I, This information needs to be out there. Otherwise, so many people are going to be kept in the dark and then that could be used against our country, you know? Mm. So maybe he was like, if I do this, this could help bring light to all the secrets that have been going on in the world. And maybe being the hero that he is, sacrificing his own life Mm. for the sake of information. Yep. Bob also claimed that he had seen the aliens with his own two eyes. He said that he was walking down a corridor in the S4 unit in March 1984 when out of the corner of his eye, he noticed something strange. He glanced at a door by his side and in the window of that door, he saw a strange little grey man with a large head and a small body standing between two men in white coats. He said that when he tried to get a better look, he was pushed back by a guard who told him to keep his eyes forward and down and to basically stop being a nosy bugger. Bob says that wasn't the only alien life form being held at Area 51, that there were many, many more, and they were referred to as the kids, which I think is quite sweet. Oh my God, it's like the kids. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. It's crash. I know. To me, it makes makes it sound like they're actually quite cute little, little aliens behaving themselves. I mean, I would like to believe that aliens are adorable little things. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Uh, would you like to meet an alien? Yeah. Well, Nikki, it's your lucky day. Yay! Please welcome <laughs> our special guest on the potty, patient number 003, fresh from area. <laughs> Could you imagine? Could you imagine if we had planned uh, this? The baby. <laughs> no, I would love to meet an alien, though. I would. I think it would be... Well, I've done a couple of courses on space stuff because I love space stuff. Yeah. And I find it really, really fascinating. And what I've learned is that basically, if anything was to materialise on other planets, it would be so, so different from us that it wouldn't look like any of these aliens that we report back. Because the conditions of things to actually materialise on different planets would have to pretty much be the same as ours. And ours is such a fluke for for that to be replicated would be really, really difficult. So anything that is alien would be so different from us. So that's why I find it quite difficult when they talk about aliens looking pretty much similar to us, but just big eyes and long gangly arms and different coloured skin. And big heads. And big heads. Um, yeah, I could, I could see that. But also, I genuinely thought that the aliens wouldn't be alive. 
I thought I thought one they wouldn't be able to cope with the difference of life here on earth. Mm-hmm. So they would either pass away yeah from being in the world. Yeah. And secondly, I thought they would have been killed to yeah. be like tested on and be like subjects to find out more about them. I don't I didn't believe that they would actually be alive and just standing with two guards, you know? Yeah, exactly, just having a nice chat. <laughs> and that was how's your day going? Do you want a coffee? <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting as well because we're all made up of elements that are made from stardust, which I find incredible. And the way that we sustain ourselves is to complete is to replenish those elements that we are made of. So things like, you know, we need our vitamins and minerals because that's us replenishing all of that stardust that's from out there. And so for something like this, if they were on different planets, you're completely right. It probably are made up of completely different elements. So we probably wouldn't be able to give them what they need to survive. Yes, element 115. 118, 118, got your number. (laughs) I'm not going to lie... I feel like I'm very good at this alien mumbo jumbo. I think you are. Ooh! But if Area 51 was a complete men in black type establishment, where did the aliens come from? Let's cast our mind back to 1947 and to the beginning of our story. UFO sightings were at an all-time high and one man, Mac Brazel, thinks he has the debris of a downed flying saucer scattered all across his farm. Now, Mac's a good guy, so he takes some of the items he's found, foil, rubber and some thin beams, to George Wilcox, his local sheriff. Sheriff Wilcox is perplexed and weirded out enough to get in touch with the local military base, the Roswell Army Airfield. He hands over what he's got to Colonel Blanchard of the US Air Force. This triggers a massive meeting of all managers. Colonel Blanchard gets the willies and calls his general, who then calls his major, who works at the CIA. Gets the willies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I got the willies. (laughs) He's feeling spooky ooky. (laughs) Well, the CIA are back, 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 back again. (laughs) The CIA send Major Jesse Marcel down to the crash site to take a look. And he is so convinced by what he's seen that the general at the military asked the press office to release a statement that from the looks of what they found, there has been evidence of a flying saucer, and it was in their possession. The press goes wild, writing stories about how the US military had captured an alien spaceship, and very quickly the military changed their story to say, actually, it wasn't a flying saucer, sorry about that, it was just a crashed weather balloon. Legit? I call bullshit. What, you think it's actually a UFO? Maybe, maybe. I, uh, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna counter you there. I okay. do think it genuinely was a water balloon. Yeah, that they just jumped the gun too soon. Why would you say you captured it and then go back on it? Mm. You'd say we have evidence that points to what could potentially be a flying saucer. A flying saucer. We'll I'm, check it out and we'll get back to you. Yeah, not yeah. say, well, we got this and we have it. Mm. Don't say you have something unless you've got the evidence. Exactly. After the backtracking, things died down a bit on the Roswell front until 1978, when a UFO researcher called Stanton Friedman tracked down the now-retired Major Jesse Marcel to talk to him about what he really found down at the farm in New Mexico. Jesse was still adamant that what he found really was alien technology. He found the materials unnerving and said this about one element in particular – It felt like you had nothing in your hands. It wasn't any thicker than the foil out of the pack of cigarettes. But the thing about it that got me is that you couldn't even bend it. You couldn't dent it. Even a sledgehammer would bounce off of it. I knew that I had never seen anything like that before. I'm obsessed. For something to be that thin and that indestructible, that's quite a crazy piece of material. The only thing I can think is that maybe it's something that fell off one of those crazy planes because if they are flying them and they've got like they're flying them super super high then surely the air pressure is like i don't know you probably would have to have materials that are pretty sturdy i would oh, think truly but i don't think the us was that advanced in their 
machinery and metals that they could have something that indestructible in the 40s. I don't know about you, but that was my theory. So I I think I'm a believer. I'm not a believer like a Justin Bieber. (laughs) I'm a believer in the fact that there are actually so i'm i'm going into this episode with a really like positive outlook like yeah it probably was yeah Yeah. i believe now jesse had a long career in the central intelligence agency and had a lot of experience with materials used in aircraft and air travel and this was nothing like he'd ever seen before so my theory about it being something off a plane he's like nah it's not from a plane (laughs) he's on team shares exactly Stanton, the UFO researcher, probably couldn't believe his luck with this admission and went about interviewing anyone he could find that had connections with the potential flying saucer crash. He announced that there was a massive cover-up going on to hide the fact that something out of this world was happening. There's always a cover-up. He claimed that out there somewhere were hidden reports about the spacecraft found, the materials recovered and, most importantly, what the crash site actually looked like and just who they found there. Now, to be fair, this is where it gets a bit conspiracy crazy. All right, okay, (laughs) we've begun. Here we go. Ufologists all over the world were claiming that they had uncovered the truth, with Charles Berlitz, an American paranormal writer, and Bill Moore, a prominent UFO expert, revealing, in inverted commas, that there were vast labyrinths of underground military compounds dedicated to alien activity. And pilot John Lear claiming that aliens were being held and studied in camps just like this, where the government fed them abducted children and mutilated cattle. Feel oh. my, the tinfoil hat has now started tingling. Oh, Christ, a lot. Abducted children. Oh, here you go. What's for supper? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is Marcus, 13. Like... Oh, no, I don't believe that. Mutilated cattle. Yeah. So, you know, when people were like, oh, aliens are mutilating cattle, that was a thing in the 90s that kept happening, was that cattle kept on being mutilated. And it was like the chupacabras or aliens. Those are the two things that people kept saying they were. (coughs) Bullshit. (laughs) Wow. John alleges that the aliens have helped build Area 51 themselves. He describes them as tall specimens called greys. The wildest claim, though, about the Roswell incident and just how those aliens ended up in the Area 51 base is as follows. Journalist Annie Jacobson released a book in 2011 called Area 51, An Uncensored History of America's Top Secret Military Base. Now, there are factual elements to the book. It tells the stories of the retired men on the ground who helped build those incredible planes, and it relies heavily on the first-hand accounts of those who were in the facility in the 50s and 60s. Whilst Annie was interviewing her sources for the book, she met one person who wants to remain anonymous. They always want to remain anonymous in these things when it's a a reliable source that just so happens to lead to an exciting story they can publish a book about. And we all know why because they're not real (laughs) and they told her that there was a crash way back on the 14th of July in 1947 a flying saucer crash landed and according to them it did have alien pilots who were then captured and brought back to Area 51 (gasps) it's getting juicy however upon inspection it became clear to them that the pilots weren't alien at all They were allegedly young teenagers, still small and thin, who had their heads surgically enlarged and died to resemble aliens. Pause. How can you surgically enhance a head? I don't know. How is that possible? (coughs) Bullshit. (laughs) I don't know what doctor they're going to, but that's a lot of filler. According to the source, they had apparently come from the Soviet Union, where Stalin had ordered the infamous and abhorrent angel of death from Auschwitz, Dr. Joseph Mengel, to experiment on children and young teens to make them look like they could have been from outer space. Oh, that took a turn. I didn't want to go down. I know. I really didn't want to go in that direction either, but we've been forced there, unfortunately. Thank you. 
Then, according to Annie's source, they were taught to fly these metal flying saucers of the Soviets' invention and sent to the US to cause an Orson Welles War of the Worlds-like panic right in the midst of the Cold War. <laughs> was that a cow or a siren? <laughs> that, was, that was a War of the Worlds-like siren, but it sounded like a cow, so I apologise. It's the mutilated cattle back to I didn't know if it was the mu- mutilated cattle. Dinner time! The source also claimed that Stalin was planning on letting the world know that the Soviets were the only ones with the technology available to bring the alien life force down, thus cementing their power at a time when everything was looking a bit shaky. So, I know we've just briefly touched on War of the Worlds there, but what do you know about the War of the Worlds hoax in the 1920s? So isn't it like this radio show that was broadcast... And because it was so, like, believable, people lost their minds and thought there was an actual alien hoax. Not an alien hoax, like an alien takeover of the world. And people were crapping themselves. Yeah, so basically it was a Halloween show that they put out on Halloween night. And it was meant to be this fun little thing and not backfire like it did. Um, But the panic that was as a result of it has been massively overhyped afterwards. So what happened at the time was that the radio was relatively new and papers were the way that everybody got their information. So people at the papers were really worried that radio was going to take over. And so they basically manufactured this fake um, hype after this program went out saying that everybody was really, really scared. But in actuality, I think it was probably only about, I don't know, under 100 people that were that thought it was real. Okay. And so they then really went in on Orson Welles and the radio in general, saying, you can't trust the radio, see what they've done to you. And yeah, basically try to, try to get rid of the radio through the backfiring of the War of the Worlds hoax. And did it work? No. No, it didn't. <laughs> Let's talk about Area 51's biggest telltale, Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar. Yeah. Now, back in the 80s, when he was running his mouth all over the country, there wasn't really a way of debunking or even looking into someone's history. Well, not like there is today with internet sleuthing. But fresh off the wave of his Netflix documentary, Bob Lazar, Area 51 and Flying Saucers, good old Reddit got involved to do some super sleuthing. Are we surprised? No. The internet has been digging, and it might be that old Bob has come from slightly spurious beginnings. According to some armchair detectives on the internet, he completely made up his educational background. He allegedly made up his degrees from MIT and Caltech, and apparently he didn't even attend the second university. So I think it's safe to say Bob may have been telling us porky pies. Even more interesting, he claimed that he worked at the Los Alamos Particle Laboratory as a physicist. But looking at their bankruptcy filings, see, Reddit going hard, they actually listed him as a photo and film processor. As for Annie and her anonymous source, she faced some probing. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny because they're talking about UFOs. I know, I know. So, yeah, so she faced some probing on the news when she was promoting the book and said that she completely and unequivocally believed that the source that told her about Stalin's plan was 100% telling the truth. And maybe, just maybe, there is some truth in this. (gasps) Oh, that's what I like to hear. Remember how we said that Area 51 was trying to reverse engineer alleged alien tech to use in their own aircraft and spy gear? Well, one of those elements, Bob Laser, claimed that scientists were after was an anti-gravity element that simply didn't exist on our elemental table. 155. If this anti-gravity element did exist, we could make hoverboards and flying cars. 
it would be like something straight out of Back to the Future for sure. Do you know what I love is those movies from like the 80s and 90s that said, oh, in the year 2020, we're going to be flying around in cars and we can barely get an electric car to go 200 miles. So, yeah, it's so funny that that's what people thought of the future. But I don't think we're even going to get to that part of the future. Sorry to be a Debbie Downer. I don't think we're even going to get there. No, I just don't think it's going to happen, really. I think things that are like that are never going to be cheap enough for us to be able to make them financially, like, viable. Unless you're Richard Branson. Exactly. Well, in the early 2000s, Russia claims to have made Element 115. And it was actually confirmed in 2013 when Swedish scientists replicated the element in a facility in Germany. Deutschland. It's called Muscovium and is now element 115 on the periodic table. Legit. So there you go. It wasn't on there. Now it is. It's legit on there. It's legit on there. Should I have known that in my science exam? Not at all. Oh, okay. Because it didn't exist, so it's only 2013 that they. Oh yeah, to do I left this. school in 2010, so that wouldn't have been on my exam. Yeah, so you're fine. Okay, 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 good, 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 good. So muscovium is extremely heavy and very, very unstable, just like me. <laughs> you're talking to me as well, Miss Troops. <laughs> the only catch is they've only been able to produce this element for a second or two at a time. But remarkably, it can be created, which is absolutely mind-blowing. I, right, I'm not sure if you remember this, but back in 2013, Gaga, oh, oh, maybe Gaga's in on this as well. And the so, flying dress. The flying dress. Yes. Do you remember that? I do remember Oh, the my dress. Christ. It went all of about half a foot off the floor. <laughs> and about 20 yards. Yeah. <laughs> but she did it. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was an interesting era. It was an interesting era. Do you think 115 was involved in that? Maybe it was. Oh! Yeah. It's because it could only fly for a few seconds. So they could only create it for a few seconds. And that's why my mind went straight there. That's what it was. That's what it was. 115. (laughs) I'm not going to lie to you. I get very fixated on, like, very specific things and very niche things. So this element 115... I've not stopped thinking about this entire recording. Mm. Maybe you can be the first person to create it so it's stable enough that it can be forever. Oh, please. I can barely log on to Instagram. (laughs) Let alone control element 115, minoxidil, whatever it is. Yeah, I reckon you'll be able to do it. It'll be fine. Maybe it's, I reckon, because it's like gravity stuff, I reckon it might be good for holding on some really heavy wigs, that kind of thing. Oh, my God, yeah, I need that. Yeah, maybe we should work on it together. Yeah. Get in the studio. (laughs) Just with our little lab coats on. Yeah. (laughs) That girl's allowed biology. Yeah, exactly. So, the question is, was Bob right? Where did the Russians and the Swedes find their blueprint for recreating the element? And why recreate it at all? And that's not the only confirmed alien-esque evidence. In 2020, the Pentagon released footage of Navy pilots spotting something that they can't identify. The footage is grainy, but shows a strange tic-tac-looking object flying through the air. The pilot remarks that there are a whole fleet of them going against the wind, which is pretty strong, and they have no idea what they are. It then rotates mid-air, freaking out the pilots. In one of the videos, a pilot zeroes in on a teeny, tiny moving object just above the sea, in the recording, you can hear him say, what the fuck is that? Look at it fly. But he says it in an American accent. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Look at it fly. <laughs> that was Australian, wasn't it? Right. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Look at it fly. <laughs> no more accents. No more accents, please. Yeah, I would have the exact same reaction. Yeah. Would you? Yeah, I think so. Have you seen this footage? No. Yeah, I've, I, I've seen it and it is pretty compelling, I would say. Now, it could be that the CIA are stoking the flames of the alien theories to cover up something altogether far more sinister. Or that our imaginations are much more fun compared to the probable reality of an airbase full of engineers. But the world's fascination with those acres in the Nevada desert aren't going anywhere. In 2019, an event was made on Facebook called Storm Area 51. 
They Can't Stop All of Us by a US college student called Matty Roberts. Over 2 million people worldwide RSVP'd, and I was one of that 2 million. Well, good on you, Nikki. Good on you. I didn't have any intention of going, but I thought I would RSVP. Yeah. Yeah, you know. The FBI turned up at Matty's house to investigate and gave him a warning to not run the original intended event, as it could become a humanitarian crisis if he did. Well, I just think, think of all the deaths. Exactly. Because they would not hold back. They will just fire and fire until the ammo is gone. So basically, he had to back down and ended up throwing a kind of fire festival event in the small town of Rachel near Area 51 for what turned out to be, in reality, just a few hundred alien hunters. The event was given a serious warning by the Air Force and told that there would be serious consequences at worst and $1,000 fines plus arrests at best for anyone found trespassing. In the end, it turned out to be two music festivals held by two of the alien-themed businesses in the area. The Ailey Inn and another called Base Camp. These two small festivals had around 1,500 people attend, but luckily everyone behaved themselves and no one got shot. Nice and intimate. Yeah, exactly. Annie, our Soviet baby alien believer, appeared on the Joe Rogan podcast, everybody's favourite, boo. And together with Bob, they're determined for everyone to know exactly what goes down at Area 51. But in reality, it seems they have just the same info as everyone else, which isn't very much at all. And that was the secrets of Area 51. Do you know what? I think I'm going to storm Area 51 now. (laughs) (laughs) You're off. (laughs) Look, we're sitting here. I've got my phone out. I've booked the flight to Nevada. Well, we said we wanted to go to Vegas to go to see KP. Kate Perry. Yeah. We could do a little detour. We could do a little detour. You said 83 miles. That's not that far. No, it'd be fine. That's like two hours. Yeah, exactly. We could do that. Oh, my God. Imagine if we were back in time for the show. Yeah. (sighs) I have a brand new obsession now. Like, I was always inquisitive, and I think that's just my nature and demeanour, but now I have a new obsession, and that is aliens. So we just have to say the knowledge out there on this topic is vast and much more than we can fit in one episode. So please check our sources if you want to find out more. As always, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please have a look in the description for all the helpful resources. Next time on Killers, Cults and Queens. We're delving into the first two-parter episode and heading into the disturbing world of the original cult leader, Charles Manson, and the murderous Manson family. (sighs) I'm so incredibly fascinated by this one, but I know it's unfortunately going to be very, very grim. And if it's a two-parter, it means we're getting down to business. Yep. Subscribe or follow to make sure that you never miss an episode of Killers, Cults and Queens. And if you have a case or a story you'd like us to cover, come on over. Come on over, baby. See you next time. And don't be a killer or join a cult. Just go find some UFOs. Goodbye. Goodbye.